Well, it's often said that successful people begin with the end in mind. And I think that's inarguable because if you have even just a project, if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, it's really hard to get there. And in life, if you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going, you will get there, as they say. And what usually people talk about when they talk about life, our lives, is beginning with the end in mind, is sort of a vague, what will people say about you at your funeral? Which I'm going to propose to you today is an inadequate end to think about. Because what we're going to talk about today is, I will propose, the actual end of our life on earth. Our passing, our physical passing, is just an installment of our actual end. The actual end is the judgment day. And we've finally gotten in Revelation to the judgment day in chapter 20. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's just start with Romans chapter 2 and start breaking paradigms and making you uncomfortable right off the bat. In Romans chapter 2 verse 6 it says that God will render to each one according to his deeds. That is a quote from the Old Testament. So there's nothing new about this concept. And then he gives two outcomes. It's a binary outcome. Number one, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now that's confusing to us because we're used to thinking of eternal life as a gift that you get when you believe. And so it is. But eternal life as a gift is like physical life as a gift. Physical life just happens to you. None of us had anything to do with being born. It was totally outside of all of our choices and understandings. It was just a gift. But you know what we become in life, we have a lot to do with. Our choices really make a big impact on that, don't they? So spiritual life's the same way. It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. But it's also a measure of the quality of that life. And what this tells us is that at the judgment seat, that doesn't end. We can choose a certain quality of life in this life. And whatever we choose in this life is just going to keep on compounding into the future. Well, that could be exciting or not exciting, depending on what kind of life we're living, right? It goes on to get a little more confusing. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good. Nothing confusing about that, is there? Doing good is not easy, is it? What's the main reward for doing good that you get in this life? No good deed goes unpunished, right? Isn't that, isn't that, the, isn't that the statement? And in fact, if you're generous to someone... What they generally will do is uh, attract a whole group of people that will complain because you're not being generous to them also. If you give somebody something, they'll want more. And if you stand for truth, you'll get ridiculed by people who don't like truth. It's just kind of the way things go. So it gets weary doing good, and so you got just got to keep going on. So there's nothing confusing about that. But what's confusing to us, eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now, we're used to thinking of glory, honor, and immortality as being something that a gladiator's after. And a gladiator life and a Christian life usually don't kind of go together. So, what is this glory, honor, and immortality, and how does it work? And in fact, this does go along with the idea of what are people going to say about me at my funeral, beginning with the end in mind. But you know, no matter how effusive people are at your funeral, they're all going to die too. And in spite of what Yogi said, go to everybody's funeral so they'll come to yours. (laughs) 
It doesn't really work that way. You know, everybody, all those nice things are going to disappear. But look what this is. Eternal life to those by patient continuance and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. This is not from man. Those things are all gone. They all fade away. This is glory from God. Honor from God. And a lasting remembrance from God. See, the nice things God says about us at the judgment seat will never be forgotten. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? And in fact, this goes right along with what we've learned in Revelation so far. So let's just rewind and talk about how we got here to the judgment seat in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. How did we get here? Well, we looked at Revelation as a really, really simple book with a simple message. If you come to Revelation trying to understand all the entries on God's Outlook calendar, it gets really confusing. But you know, he says you get a special blessing if you read, understand, and do the words of this prophecy. But if he wrote Revelation so we could understand what's going to happen and that it's already on God's Outlook calendar, could we do anything about that? There's nothing to do there. No, the Revelation is about read, understand, do. And what is it he wants us to read and understand and do? Well, two really significant things. One is that God is on his throne. His outlook calendar will not be revised. It is what it is. And it is what it's going to be. And the second thing is he just wants us to do one very simple but not easy thing. And that's be a faithful witness unto death. What's the Greek word for witness? Martyreo. We get our English word martyr from. So be a faithful witness and don't fear death. Any kind of death. Rejection, loss, whatever it is. Exile, any kind of death. Don't, fear, don't be afraid of it. Why? Because he's going to make it worthwhile. No matter what we have to put up with, he will make it worthwhile. So what kind of blessing is that? Well, if you can live a fearless life that's full of hope, is that a blessing? I think so. That's what he's offered to us. We see that Jesus is on his throne. All through this book, throne, 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 41 times, throne. And in each and every case, there's not even a contest for the throne of God. He is on the throne. Every crazy thing that happens in the world, every plague, every war, it's all authorized. Every bit of it, it's authorized. We saw this book as organized as to what was and is and what is to come. And we saw what was and is in chapters 1 through 3. And in what was and is, we saw this letter to these seven Roman cities in the Roman province of Asia, because we're in the Roman era. And he says things like, the devil will throw some of you into jail, but don't be afraid. So it's on his calendar. You're going to get thrown in jail. It was authorized. But don't be afraid. Don't fear death. I'm going to give you something way better. If you'll just hang in there. He says things like, I've opened a door. Nobody can shut this door. Because I opened it. So God authorizes bad things to allow to happen. And he says, if you want to shut that door, you can't shut it. So he authorizes opportunities that we have a chance to go through. Because he's on his throne this whole time. His outlook calendar is certain. And in the 4 through 20 so far, ultimately 22... He says things like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Power was granted unto him. He was authorized to do this thing or that thing. This angel prepared for this point in history was allowed to do his thing. It's all authorized. And we saw the outlook calendar start to unfurl. 
we saw the seven seals on the scroll. Only Jesus was authorized to break those seven seals. And as he did, the four horsemen of the apocalypse came out. And all these crazy things start to happen. And then the seventh seal broke and seven trumpets happened. And each trumpet authorized some crazy thing to happen on earth. He's not trying to get us to understand how all those events are going to happen. And What's he trying to get us to do? Hey, I am authorizing these things. No matter how crazy things get, don't worry about outcomes. Okay, I got the outcomes all taken care of. What are we supposed to worry about? Be a faithful witness. Don't fear death. I'm, I got this. I got this. Don't fear what's going to happen. Just keep doing your job. And we saw that if we keep doing our job, amazing things happen. Glory, honor, and immortality. And he tells us, I will make you an overcomer. A Nikeo from Nike, goddess of victory. I'll make you a victor. A winner. Someone who prevails. A conqueror. And let's just look at Revelation 3, 21. This is the spirit of our age, Laodicea, people who say, I don't need God. To him who overcomes, Nikeo, to him who wins, to him who overcomes, Nikeo, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame, Jesus speaking, and sat down with my Father on his throne. So Jesus, who is already the king of the universe sat down with on the throne as king also of the world because he came to the earth, became a human, and won the right to rule the earth and supplanted Lucifer from that standpoint. And he says, I overcame. And what did Jesus overcome? Fear of death? Temptation? And because of that, he sat down on his father's throne. He says, I'm inviting you to overcome the fear of death. Seek continually doing good and come sit with me on my throne. It's pretty remarkable. So we come to this Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. Then I saw, and this is still John's vision that he has. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We see here that there's this great white throne. It seems to come after this thousand years has expired. And it seems to come after the heaven and earth have fled away. And we know the heaven and earth is destroyed by what? By fire. And in this verse, the fire appears to come from where? Yeah, Jesus' face. So Jesus says, I don't want you anymore. It blows up. That's a cool Jesus, don't you think? Jesus' face melts the heaven and the earth, and then everybody comes to see Jesus and his face, the face that melted the heaven and the earth. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now, who's the dead? Well, we saw in 24 through 6 that there's some people who already live and reign. 
It says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of his foreheads on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So it certainly seems as though somebody is living and is not included in this dead. That certainly seems to be the case. And, of course, last week, last time I made it really clear that I do not want the plagues of this book added to me, so I don't want to add anything. And I don't want my part of the book of life taken away, as it says in chapter 20, so I don't want to take anything away. So I'm going to do my very, 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 very best to just talk about what's here. And what seems to be the case is that these uh, people who have lived and reigned are a separate set from verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, I don't know the mechanics of how this works. Usually, the reason why people really want to parse out and understand how this works is so that they can minimize the amount of pain they have on this earth and get away with it in the next life. So how, can I, how does this system work so I can game it? That's usually how we want to know, right? That's why we hire accountants to do our taxes, isn't it? Yeah, how can we understand the system as, as best possible and minimize our taxes? Which is how the game's set up. I, th- I, don't, I think that probably there's a lobby in Washington to make the tax code more complicated every year because it creates more accounting fees. But, you know, that's not the point here. We don't need to game the system or understand how all these things work because the point's really clear. Be an overcomer. That's really it. It's really, really clear all the other options are not good. Exactly how it works, I don't know. It appears as though whoever's not an overcomer doesn't get resurrected until this time. Does that mean they're not alive? No. Even the people who are not believers are still conscious. Remember... We saw last time Hades, and you've got this chasm between and the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and there's consciousness, and there's, they're talking across the chasm in Hades, right? Remember that? So there's still consciousness, but they're not back in action, as it will, on the earth. So whoever that is, that's the rest of the dead is not resurrected to reign. And that could be believers and unbelievers alike. I think it certainly includes unbelievers. Well, where are the believers then, if that's the case? Well, I don't know. They could be on the earth, because in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 13, it says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Now, Hades has two compartments. It's got Abraham's bosom, and it's got, what's the other one called, Brand Tartarus, right? You know, that's the same word as used for Sheol. So it's a model that comes all the way through the Old Testament through. Apparently the Greek idea was good enough, and they just uh, incorporated it as a description of what goes on. And so the, whoever's dead there is included. Some people say that the paradise side has already been emptied out. Perhaps so. But this sea gives up the dead also. And remember, all through Revelation, the sea is the thing the beast arises out of. And the sea that the beast arises out of certainly appears to be the earth. Because the beast arises from the earth. And we saw in the millennial kingdom, there's still people dying, even though it said if somebody dies at 100 years old, they're considered a child that died, because death becomes very rare. But still people die. And at the end of this thousand years, and everyone's released, and then there's another rebellion, which is mind-boggling. We'll go into that next week some, hopefully. And there's another rebellion. Fire comes down and devours the people fighting. There's probably still a lot of other people that didn't come to the battle. And so all these people that are left, they're all in this uh, sea 
apparently. So you got everybody left coming to this judgment. Now, the reason why we don't like the idea of anyone's name not found written is cast in the lake of fire, and this idea that fire might apply to a believer is because we know believers don't go to hell. But here's the thing. Hell, as we know it, Hades, is cast into the lake of fire in verse 14. See that? So hell, Hades, is cast into the lake of fire. It doesn't even exist anymore. There's now a lake of fire. And a lake of fire could be a place, or it could just be a condition. And if Jesus' face has melted the heaven and the earth, it could just be that being in a certain state in the face of Jesus is punishment in and of itself. It is an uncomfortable circumstance that you're going to have forever and ever. And I showed you last time that there's this passage in Ezekiel and in Isaiah where Lucifer is spoken of as people who walk by and say, is that the guy that was, was uh, wreaking havoc on the earth? That beggar there? That little guy in the ashes there? And I propose to you the possibility that that could be the worst punishment for Satan of all possibilities. Because what is Satan's big desire? To be great on whose terms? His. What does Jesus call us to do in this book? To be great on whose terms? His. Isn't that interesting? And so what he's going to do is take the one who wants to be great on his terms and bring him down into the dust forever for everybody to see. And what he wants to do is say, if you'll be my faithful witness unto death, not fear death, just do the role I've given you to do the way I ask you to do it, I'm going to elevate you all the way up to the thing Lucifer wanted in the first place, which is my throne. And I'm going to set you on it. Why? Because you learned to serve. And that's what I'm after. Is Satan interested in serving? Yes, he's interested in you serving him. Is he interested in him serving you? No. But that's what Jesus came to do. I came to serve. Then rule. Service first, then rule. And that's what he's doing. He's qualifying a new group of leaders. Those who will serve. That's who he wants to share the throne with. So when you think of it that way, it gets scary in a different way. So there's a whole lot of things that come up like, wah, 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 how does this work kind of stuff, right? So let me just go through and ask some questions and answer them. Uh, first question might be, what happens to the believers who are not in this first resurrection in Revelation chapter 4? Well, let's go to Philippians 3.11. It might give us some clues. So this is Paul writing. And he says in verse 10, "...that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death." So does that sound like he, was, he wants to be a faithful witness and not fear death? It sure does, doesn't it? That's what I want. Why? If by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now we know that Paul unequivocally states that every believer will be resurrected. That's 1 Corinthians 15. If you are a believer and you don't think there's a resurrection, you're, you're to be pitied because that's our whole hope is that we're going to be resurrected. But this word here is a different word. It's the only time it occurs in the New Testament and it's exanastasin. Uh, so in that exanastasis, it's the out-resurrection. It's, it's a special resurrection. Maybe this is the First resurrection. And first is the Greek word proto. And it can mean first in line 
or it can mean most important. So you know that phrase, the first will be last and the last will be first? You know, if that means the first in line will be the last in line and the last in line will be the first in line, then it doesn't make any sense, right? But what it is is the last in line will be the first most important. And the parable that that comes from is the last guy to show up got the same reward as the guys that have been working all day. And Jesus is making a point is, I'm going to judge and I may give the people who start way late in life and just finish well more than someone who is mediocre for all of his life. Okay, So that's a very encouraging. It's never too late to start. That's a great thing. So this proto, this first, might mean the most important resurrection as opposed to the first in line. And in fact, the first in line doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because dead in Christ rise first and rapture has to have happened before this. Right? So there's some special resurrection that seems to take place for the overcomers, which would make some sense, you think. Yeah? No, so X is super additional, anastis, extra resurrection. And clearly Paul, who believes everybody's going to be resurrected, sees this as something to attain. And how do you attain it? Be conformed to his death by sufferings. Faithful witness unto death. See that? Okay, so I don't think that one's a particular problem. It fits. So what about the believers who miss this? Uh, this one gets real uncomfortable. We've already covered it, but we're going to cover it again. Revelation 2.11. He has an ear to hear. And this is actually, um, let's just go back to 10. Do not fear any of those who, things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That's on his outlook calendar. He knows it's going to happen. He's just warning him that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So here are these people who are standing in the face of the fire of tribulation. He says, hang on, I'll give you the crown of life, and you won't be hurt by the second death. Well, we see in Revelation 20, 14, then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Well, so apparently this lake of fire can hurt. But if that's hell, that's impossible to comprehend. But hell's been thrown into the lake of fire. If it's the face of Jesus, then it kind of makes sense. Because look at 1 Corinthians 3 with that in mind. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Paul speaking again. And the context here is there's an argument among the people of who they're following. I follow Apollo. So, oh, well, you're, then a, you're, you're, a, you're a lowly because I follow Paul. See, Apollos baptized me. Well, Paul baptized me. Well, I was discipled by Paul. Then I'm better than you. And Paul says... You know what? You're judging based on something that's really messed up. What you should be worried about is not me versus Apollos. You should be worried about you at the judgment seat. Okay, that's what you should be worrying about. So that's the point here. Verse 11, no other foundation can anyone lay which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort of it is. If anyone's work on which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. Nikeo, share my throne with me. A crown of life, that's a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. You don't get the reward. But he himself will be saved. So this, we're not at issue here. None of this is at issue as are you a believer or not. 
That's not an issue. Well, who takes care of that? If we sin, what do we have? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What sins were covered? All of them. For all time, past, present, future. We don't have to worry about that. What we're talking about here is the reward of life. What did your life matter? Who did you become? And what is your life going to be like from now on? And our choices have a huge impact on what that is. He himself will suffer, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now we have people that say, hmm, so, so you mean if I sin now, if I have death, loss, condemnation now, all of which are so fun, then all I have to do is just stand in front of Jesus and have my whole life burned away. How long is it going to last? No, no. If you're asking that question, you don't get it. That's not the point. The point's not how long is it going to last. The point is don't do that. Don't fear death. Live a life that's completely the resurrected life. Put to death the old life. Live the resurrected life. Because this is where you're going to go. And just think about it as a possibility here. Jesus' face is, is here at the judgment seat. And if we have gold, silver, precious stones, what would that you know, sun-melting light do to a diamond? It would just shine so bright that it would blind everybody. What would it do to gold? It would just purify it to the point it was so beautiful that nobody could stand it. And what's it going to do to wood, hay, and straw? <laughs> so, suffer loss. What does that mean? You mean we can suffer? Could we have remorse in heaven? Is it possible to have remorse in heaven? Well, we looked at Isaiah last time. Remember what Isaiah said when he's in the throne room and he meets Jesus? What did he say? Oh, man, I don't speak too good. I need to clean up my vocabulary. I'm a man of unclean lips. Man, I wish I could change that. No problem. We can fix your lips. Order up a lump of coal that's burning hot and bring it over here. Here, we're going to burn your lips off. Aren't you glad? I have my lips cauterized. That's in the throne room that that happens. So, yes, I think we, we're, we're still going to be learning. We're still going to be learning. Does discipleship stop when we get to heaven? Look, there's this idea of we're going to spend our lives in heaven. That's wrong. Who's in heaven? Where's this throne here? This great white throne. Where is it? It's in heaven, right? Who's there? Everybody. The wicked and the righteous. They're all there in heaven. Where are they all going? To the new earth. We're going to spend our eternity in the new earth. We get to talk about that really soon. And that's going to be awesome. We're not going to spend, we're not going to spend our life in a... I think of it as this image that we're given, which, by the way, comes from Greek philosophy, not the Bible. This image that heaven is an Alzheimer clinic with, with uh, you know, hymns piped in. You know, where I just play my harp and drool, you know, the eternal drool. There's nothing in the Bible that has anything to do with that. We're going to be learning. We're going to be growing. It's going to be adventure. It's going to be excitement. Well... You may be thinking, well, if I'm not an overcomer, is it going to be excitement? Yes. Just Let's just peek ahead to 21.4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is there going to be remorse? Yes. Is it going to last forever? No. 
Have you ever done anything bad in your life? Raise your head. No, you don't have to. <laughs> Were you remorseful? Did you learn and move on? You know, you wouldn't be here if you didn't learn and move on. If you think about it, do you still have a twinge? But then you say, you know, I learned. And you move on. If you had a wasted life, or you have bad things that happen in your life, things that you wish you could do over again, would you rather just erase the memory and go into the Alzheimer's clinic and drool? Or would you rather learn from it, incorporate it into who you are now, and then move on to life with all that stuff burn away and incorporate it as, you know, I wish I would have learned it on earth, but I got it now. Which would you rather have? You know, C.S. Lewis, I think, got this. And in his book, The Great Divorce, he depicts people on the edge of the new earth. And there's this guy who has a lizard that is on his shoulder. And this lizard is his victim voice. He's always a victim. Everything, all circumstances he can't overcome. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. He's always telling him, oh, you, you know, this is really horrible for you. And this angel figure that's talking to him keeps asking, can I kill that thing? No, no, I need it. I need it. I need it. They have this conversation. Can I kill that thing? Finally, he says yes. And he kills it. And it's the most painful thing that ever happened to him. And then the lizard turns into a beautiful white stallion and he rides off. Well, I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. And so we have this idea, well, okay, well, good. Well, then, then I want as much wood, hay, and stubble at the... No, no. No, you don't want wood, hay, and stubble. Look, keep going on. You don't want to be going into the new earth and everybody's... <laughs> smell like something. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. That's not what we want. Verse 15, if anyone's burdened, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, is there any precedent for this that judgment fire would apply to believers? Well, absolutely. The whole Old Testament is full of You failed me in the, in the wilderness. Now, why didn't you believe me? I would have given you something to drink. Why didn't you believe me? Ten times, he says. And then finally he says, you know, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I'll take care of you the whole time. You want, you know, I'll give you clothes. I'll give, you'll be on welfare. I'll give you food. But you don't, get to, you don't get the inheritance. You don't get to go into the land. And I'm sure some of them are like, you mean we don't have to fight? Everything's free? Good. I'm good with that. I'm sure some people are like that. But, you know, they kind of missed out on the blessing of owning something, of being a part of something, of actually building something That's, that was taken away. You know that Jeremiah 29:11 verse that everybody has on a cross stitch on their wall somewhere? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you. You know, the verse right before that, the verses right before that are saying, so you're going to go 70 years to a foreign country and your whole country is going to be destroyed. Not probably, you know, a half a million people or so are going to die. But this is totally for your good. I have nothing but your best interest in heart. And everybody's looking at that and what? That doesn't sound like my best interest. But you know, Babylon, who did the invasion, got the same treatment. They got invaded by the Persians. What was the difference between the two? When the Persians invaded the Babylonians, they were no more. 
when the Israelites got exiled, they were refined. They became the Jews we know today. That's where their scholastic tradition started. And they became the geniuses of the world in Babylon. That's what happened to them. And they were blessed, even though it seemed horrible. Well, that's kind of the way things work. So, uh, can we avoid the fire? That's a good question. The answer to that is no. We cannot avoid the fire. Now, interestingly enough, what we get to choose is which fire and which place. So let's look at 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. So the fire in the lake of fire is the Greek word pyr, poor. And this word here, fiery trial, has as, has as its root poor. It's a trial of fire. That's why they translate it this way. Don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. If something's strange... What does that mean it is? Unusual. Unexpected. So what should we expect? Fiery trials. Can we opt out of fiery trials? Yes and no. They will come anyway, but we can just give in to the world. I'm sure all of you have experienced this in some fashion. The teenagers are going to go do something and everybody knows it's bad. Probably illegal too. You say, or or someone says, you know, I'm not going to participate. What do you get? if you take that stand. You get rejection. You get exiled. You get death. You get death from that click when you, if you do that. And then they go and do whatever the thing and get away with it and then they get away with it and then they get away with it and then the authorities come. And then you say, man, I'm glad I endured. So, who got the fire? Everybody. You can either have the fire of the rejection and exile from the world And then when the authority comes, say, I'm glad I did that. Or you can say, man, this is cool. I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with. And then the authority comes and you say, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. that. That's our choice. We can either live a life as a faithful witness and not fear death. That's a fiery trial. That's going through the fire. Have it burned away here and now with this walk of faith. Or wait until you get in front of Jesus' face with a big bale of hay in your hand. (laughs) That's the choice. All right. So here's another one. If I'm thinking to myself, I already have a big bale of hay. Is there anything I can do? Do I just have to wait to the judgment seat and just suck it up? No. We can actually burn our hay now. And here's how. Look at 1 John 1, verse 7. First John 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we're walking in the light, what do we all have? Sin. If you say you have no sin, you're kidding yourself, right? But if you're walking in the light, you just have sin, but you're not aware of it. We're blind to most of our sin. Isn't that an encouraging thought? It's reality. Okay? The more you grow in the Lord, the more you realize, man, I'm not near as good as I thought I was. Right? Everybody experience that? So if you walk in the light, he says this. Hey, you're good. All the stuff that you hadn't come aware of yet, I'll just cover that over. No hay bale for you. I'm just covering it over. Just deal with what you know. If we say, well, I don't have any problems. 
you got a problem. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this is given to believers. The sin of separation from God's already been dealt with. That's done. That's a one, All you got to do is have enough faith to look like the snake on the stick and say, I, I don't want to be killed by snake poison. I look. That's all it takes to become a child of God. Because Jesus does that. That's a new birth. We didn't have anything to do with birth. It's just a gift. But what we're talking about here is becoming a fellow heir of the universe. Wouldn't you expect that to take a little bit of effort? Yeah. So if we say we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what that means to me is if we say, look, I screwed up and I want to change, and then we change, then we've dealt with it here. How easy is confession, folks? I think it was Gus in Lonesome Dove that said confession's like a dry shave. It hurts. And confession, if you'll sit down with someone and say, I screwed up, I'm sorry. That's fire. It hurts. But here's the deal. You get, you get a choice. Do you want to do it now with your spouse or your friend or your cohort or whatever it is and get the pain out of the way? Or do you want to do it in front of the burning face Jesus with everybody watching. And by the way, you get a bonus if you do it that way. There's a bonus. Let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So if we don't take care of it here, we get the bonus of all our thoughts and intentions being laid bare as well. In addition to our actions. Welcome to the judgment. So are you getting motivated to clear it all out now? Well, that's the point. The point is not how do we gain the system. I don't know how all these sequences... I don't know if there's one judgment or 50 judgments or two or three. I don't know. There's systems out there you can look at. They may be right. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. You know what I care about? I want to be in the first resurrection and I want to be an overcomer. All the other scenarios you're not supposed to aim for. So how do we become an overcomer? Well, be a faithful witness until death. What does that look like? Well, I've got a couple other questions here. But I'm almost out of time so I'm going to have to pick one. Would you rather have, would you rather have who judges and are we supposed to judge anything? Or would you rather have how do we know we're an overcomer? Who judges? Okay. All right, so who judges? This is a simple, this simple answer. Who judges? Jesus does. Are we supposed to judge anything? Well, yes, we are supposed to judge something. Look at Matthew 7, verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. So we're supposed to judge fruit. This is usually used by a preacher that's judging whether someone's a believer or not. Or something like that. Ah, but look at the context. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So if you have a preacher telling you that they're judging you based on fruits, what should you suspect? Beware. That's the thing we're supposed to judge. Who to follow? You judge people's actions to decide who do you want to follow. 
That's it. That's it. That's the only fruit inspection purpose we're supposed to have. Who do I follow? What are we supposed to do with everyone else? Look at 1 Corinthians 4 5. So therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Because he's telling them, am I, am I supposed to judge something? And let's just go back and look at the context here. Because they're judging Paul. And he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Do you judge yourself? Do you beat yourself up? Stop. That's all I can tell you. Okay? I don't judge myself. I don't know of anything against myself. Do you know of something against yourself? Confess. And then stop beating yourself up. Yet I'm not justified by this. Does that let you off the hook? No. Because who's going to judge? Jesus. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. We don't know why people did stuff. Look, everybody has a story, don't they? Just don't judge people. Is anybody going to get away with anything? No. Everything's going to be paid for, either by Jesus or by His face. Don't judge anything before the time until the Lord comes. He will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So, just don't worry about it. It's all going to... You see somebody... It's terrible. They're getting away. Nobody's getting away with anything. Don't worry about it. Don't be... Just confess what you know and walk in the light. That's the best you can do. Okay? You get, you get the picture? And what does that all come back to? Be a faithful witness today with the role I gave you and let me worry about the rest. Look, I got, I got the future. You worried about the future? It's on my outlook calendar. Don't worry about it. You worried about your sin? Do what you can do. Confess it and deal with it and change. Let me worry about the rest of it. Okay? All the stuff you don't know, just let me worry about it. You worried about the judgment? I'm going to do the judging. Can you trust me? Can you, would you rather somebody else judge? Okay, good. Well, then trust me. I got it. Okay? Do what you need to do with what you have in front of you now and be faithful. I got the rest. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, he's in control. And we have these choices to make that change the world. Totally change the world. It's an awesome situation to be in. So let's begin with the end in mind. And what the end is, is everything's going to be brought to light except those things we've already taken care of. So what do we want to do? Take care of everything. And then be faithful unto death. Is it ever too late to start? No, the last will be first. If you need a fresh start, start today. It's a good day to start. We don't know how, how Jesus is going to judge all this. But does he want us to win? Absolutely. That's good enough. All right, I'm done. 45 seconds. Oh, you want to know that too? Tune in next time. Can you stand it? Yeah, you can stand it. God, thank you for this amazing... Uh, picture you've given us. Help us be faithful witnesses and not fear rejection and loss and all those things. Man, they hurt. I don't like them. They stink. I would rather avoid them all. But compared to what you've given to us, it's nothing. Help us really see that perspective because perspective is one of the things we can choose. Please give us that perspective so that we can live a life that's fearless and hopeful. In Jesus' name, amen.